That song is an excellent reminder to me that as we gather this morning, we didn't, we didn't gather to try to change people's opinion of us to make sure people thought we were good people. We didn't gather for a preacher to listen to or for songs to sing. We, we gathered fundamentally today around Christ Jesus. We're here because we want to adore the living God who we approach through Christ. And so thank you very much for gathering with us. Hey, I got to tell you, to, uh, as we start today, two things I want to say. Number one, uh, David Williamson's here. David is a, a friend of mine. He's Sterling Williamson's son, but he's kind of a special guest to me because he's a pastor friend. And anytime you're preaching in front of other preachers, you know, you're a little bit uh, being judged a little today. So y'all pray for me. No, I'm kidding. I really do want to welcome David. It's rare for a pastor to get a break. And man, it blesses us that you're with us. We love your mom. We love you. And we're glad you're here. And take good notes, David. I'm just kidding. The second, thing, the second thing that I want to say is today is my favorite day of the year. It is March 20th, which means it is my bride's birthday. And so, uh, yes, we're not going to sing happy birthday, although I did that in Sunday school. But I do, like, as a church standpoint, I do want to just kind of say this. Like, in October, people have Pastor Appreciation Month, and people, you know, pat the pastor staff on their back and say, good job, Pam, good job, Chris, good job. So sometimes we get, you know, some, some appreciation, some love from the church. But I want to say that the wives of your staff for today, for my wife, you know, for the wives of our church staff, I recognize how much all of the spouses, all the husbands, all the wives do uh, to love this church well. And so I just want to show you guys some respect and tell you that we love all the spouses of our church staff. And as, we still, as I'm celebrating Lindsay today, I'm thinking about that for all of you guys. So you guys go the extra mile for us. Okay, so we're ready for the sermon today. We're going to be preaching about generosity. We're in our sermon series called Nine Ways. This Nine Ways to Follow Jesus it, for us, is a discipleship grid. It's a way for us to make sure that we're not just religious, that we're not just being like Pharisees, just going through motions. It's a way for us to check and make sure that we're growing with Jesus, that we're more like him. So we just we reviewed the Gospels, and we found specific things that seemed to be characteristics that separated between the Pharisees over here and the people that were following Jesus over there. We want to be more like them. And one of those things was generosity. So today, I'm going to encourage us that where you are with the resources that God has given you is going to be a good marker in your growth with Jesus. So let's read Luke chapter 7. This is a passage that I love. I've preached it to you before, but never, never as a test for generosity. Rather, I've always preached this passage about redemption and mercy and forgiveness and salvation, but I want to show you another side of it today, and the two are intimately connected. So let's read Luke chapter 7. It's kind of a long passage, but uh, I want you to buckle your seatbelt and hang in there. If you will, if you're able to, let's stand as we read the word, just out of respect for the text. Verse 36 and following, Luke chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life heard that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, 
He said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. I love that Jesus answered a thought. That's impressive. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarii is about a day's wage. And the other, 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. She has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Church family, let's take a seat and study the text. So my main point today that I want to kind of share with us is that our generosity, our heart's posture towards our time and resources, it actually is going to show you how you're walking with Jesus. As you and I are shaped more and more into the image of Jesus, this is one place where our grip on the world will be loosened some. All right, so let me, uh, let me just sort of set the stage. I need two volunteers. I need students. I don't know. I would say somebody like 12 and under would be perfect for this. Like, so 6 to 12. I saw, all right, Hannah, come on. You're, all right, come on, Charlie. Hannah and Charlie, you're in the right spot. Y'all come on up. All right, so uh, Hannah and Charlie, two fantastic Carterville kids. Would you guys welcome them to the platform as they help me? All right, Hannah and Charlie. All right, I need both of you guys to be my helpers, okay? So, Charlie, I want you to stand right over here in the light. Hannah, I want you to stand right here in the light. All right. Theologically, as a church, you know, we believe that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? I mean, that's kind of the old church way to say it. What we're saying is God owns everything, right? This is his cosmos, his creation. This is his air we're breathing. This is his rainbows we're enjoying. It's his money that flows around. Like every, literally Everything is God's. In fact, the breath in my lungs belongs to God. The ideas in my noggin really belong to God. Like everything is the Lord's. Now God, as a generous, gracious father, shares it with his people so that we can be stewards of it. Key biblical word. We are stewards, not owners. Like we don't have long lifespans. We die and pass it off to somebody else. You know why? Because we can't keep any of it because it's not ours. We are stewards. So I recently took Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Stephen George was my teacher, so Stephen did a great job. I appreciate that. On Wednesday night, just to try to learn to be a better steward. And in week 10, he taught about generosity. And it was one of the most powerful lessons I've ever had on a Wednesday night 
cafe class at Carterville. Man, it just, it was awesome for me, his lesson on generosity. But he talked about stewardship, and the illustration that Charlie and Hannah and I are going to show you today is a Dave Ramsey illustration. I owe him for it, but it was terrific. I want you to think, for the rest of your life, of your relationship with your wealth and your resources in this way, okay? As you gain more of them and use them well, I hope you'll use them for Jesus. But I want you to think about it this way. Hannah represents us. It's as if the Lord who owns it all looked at Hannah, his steward, and says, I have a lot of resources, and I trust you to use them well. So here we go. So I want to give you a little bit of what I have, and I need you to use it. for. This is mine, but I would like for you to keep it and use it for me, like a banker. Okay? Hannah, you had a really big smile on your face. That makes me nervous. I want you to, this is, whose money is this? This money is my money. But I've asked Hannah to guard it and use it for me, okay? Now, what happens sometimes in a Christian life is this. The Lord looks up and he sees another one of his sons who needs some of that, right? I look up and I say, Charlie needs some help. And I'll say, Hannah, my son Charlie, he needs, I want to bless him. I need to help him. And I need you to use some of what I gave you to help Charlie over here, okay? Charlie's hungry. Charlie's, Charlie's trying to pay college tuition. Charlie's trying to raise his kids all by himself. Charlie's struggling. This, and I'm touching your heart, and I'm telling you, I, I blessed you, and I want you to go bless Charlie. Now, Hannah, what if Hannah looked at me and said, my money, no. Why don't you go ahead and show me what that would look like, Hannah? Snatch that money back stingily from me. Ready? You don't, yes, give me five. She's like, I'm not going to do that. Rather... What's Hannah going to do? I was like, hey, Hannah, I need you to give Charlie like two of those, okay? Thank you. All right, y'all give Hannah a big hand. Super silly illustration, but here's the truth. Like, generosity has been a hard one for me. Like, I, I, I don't care that much about money. I, I think it's really not something that like wakes me up in the morning. But I do find myself sometimes slow to share what God gave me. Because I think to myself, wait a minute, if, if I let go of this, what if I want it later? Or if I use it over here, what could I have done with it for me? I'd like to buy another turkey shotgun for turkey hunting. I'd like to buy, I'd like to buy another set of, gift of, of golf clubs. I need, I need a new fishing rod. I need a bass boat, right? I need, I need another truck. I need, I need disc golf. I need frisbees. I need, all this, I need all this stuff. I need more clothes, more purses, more shoes, more. What if I, if I let him have it? What if I, but it should fundamentally come down to the man in the middle. Like to God saying, that's mine. This is what I want you to do with it, right? But I'm telling you that more often than I care to admit in my lifetime, I have been the steward of God's money who is holding tight saying, are you really sure? And so as we dive off into this sermon, I want you to have this illustration in the back of your mind. All right, now Hannah, what I want you to do is I want you to make sure you've got five and Charlie's got five and y'all can split that up on your way off the platform. Y'all give them a hand. All right. Thanks, Hannah. Uh, Adam and Amelia, good job on your daughter. She was like, no, I'm not even going to do the bad thing. I know how this works. I've been to, I've been to your church before. So we're going to talk about stewardship. And it turns out that this passage is absolutely about salvation and forgiveness, but it's also about generosity. And I want to show you a couple of things that have shown me that. Right? This woman walks in with this alabaster jar of perfume. 
that it was very expensive. How do I know it's expensive? Well, this, well, number one, just from doing a little historical research, but number two, I want you to write this down. This passage is, this story is told in every single gospel. Every gospel tells you about this woman anointing the feet of Jesus with perfume and tears and washing his feet with her. Every single gospel gave you this, and that is fairly rare. It's in John chapter 12, it's in Mark chapter 14, and it's in Matthew, I think chapter 26, but uh, no, 23, I forgot. It's in all four gospels. And in, in Mark and in Matthew, they both specifically say this was very expensive because everybody in the room, when they, when they watch this woman pour the perfume out on the feet of Jesus, they all say, this was very expensive. Like they said, that's wasteful. They all said, wait, 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 we could have taken the money and we could have used it for the poor and we could have done something good with it. Why is she just pouring it out on Jesus? Why is she worshiping Christ with, with this that could have been like resources we could have all used as we saw fit to care for the poor, to carry out our ministry or do good things, not bad things, not bad things, but good things. So in, in Matthew, in Mark, oh, this is very expensive. Uh, John does something really cool with this. John tells you that the person who was complaining about the waste of this resource was actually Judas. And then John went on to tell you in John chapter 12, and Judas was complaining about it because he was the treasurer that kept the money. And once in a while, he would help himself to the money. It turns out that this passage in Mark, in John... And in Matthew is in a different spot in the life of Jesus, which is fine because, to be honest with you, Luke is not trying to be chronological yet, not to the last week of Jesus. In the other Gospels, we find out that this episode happens right at the very end of the life of Jesus, like just days before the cross. It's when she comes in because she's anointing his feet for burial. Like this perfume that she's putting, she doesn't know that. All she knows is that God told her to spend her life's savings worshiping Jesus in something that everybody else would say, well, that makes no sense. You should surely cash that in. You should, you should open a money market account. You should use some more of that. This doesn't make, but God convicted her to go and lavish this on Jesus. And so she just did what God said to do. Little did she know that she was the only opportunity that Jesus would have for proper anointing before his burial. Like this was a beautiful way for her to worship Christ. Now, I want to fast forward because what I'm going to ask us to be doing with our resources, our time, with our money, with hospitality in our homes. It's not that different. I'm not asking you to go splash people with perfume. But what I am going to ask you that's the same is I want to ask you to use it however God tells you. I want you to be in a position that you can be generous and that you won't be calculating the cost every time saying, oh, that's too much, I can't do it. I want to show you that generosity belongs in this big category. Like, it blew me away because I told you generosity was not native to me. Like, it was not natural. It's not in my bones. And so when we, when we started to look to say, all right, is this a marker of discipleship? I was blown away when I went through the Gospel of Luke to see how clear, in Luke's Gospel especially, Jesus is that this differentiates between Pharisees and real disciples of Jesus. Let me show you a couple of passages. If you guys want to, let me show you what, the, what it looks like to be Pharisees. Look in Luke 11. Turn your Bible a couple of pages over. In Luke chapter 11, verse 49, this is fairly powerful. I must have written that text down because it didn't turn out just right like I expected it to. 
Look in chapter 11, verse 41. It says, But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Because those Pharisees, what was lacking on the inside for them was a lack of generosity. They were hard-hearted. I want you to look with me in chapter 16, verse 14. Luke chapter 16, verse 14. Look what it says about the Pharisees here. He's just told a, a parable about somebody who was trying to manage wealth. And his big point about this is that you can't serve two masters. You're going to wind up serving either God or money. And in verse 14 it says, The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. I tell you, another would-be disciple that loved money, another mention of this, in Luke chapter 22, verse 5. Luke chapter 22, verse 5, it says this, and I want you to buckle your seatbelts. This is about Judas. He's talking to the chief priests, trying to make deals to betray Jesus, and it says they were delighted and they agreed to give him money, and he consented. Judas betrayed Jesus for money. It turns out that in several places in the, in the Gospels, Jesus is very, very clear that if you want to follow him, you have to be willing to let go of everything you have. And I know that for all of us, that the first question we ask in fear is, oh my, does that mean I have to give up everything and become a pauper? It means you have to release control of everything because it belongs to him already. The classic example of this is that rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he goes away sad because he had great wealth. True disciples, in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can write this down if you want to. But for some of us in the church, generosity is going to be the most true test of our discipleship. And here's, here's why. Because it turns out that that old saying, you put your money where your mouth is, it turns out that that old saying was founded on truth. Like we realize that people are going to invest their resources in what they really believe in. I get to watch this all the time. One of my favorite things to do as your pastors, I love to do premarital counseling when a couple in the church is getting married. Uh, you know, we'll set up some appointments and we'll talk about marriage. And we have great conversations. We talk about love. We talk about communication. We talk about small acts of service that are going to make your, your, your marriage you know, fantastic. You know, we talk about intimacy in marriage. We talk about all kinds of things. And both, you know, both people are laughing and talk, everything is good. And one conversation, we start to talk about money. And, I, and we start to talk about, all right, everything that you have is going to be yours. And you know, one account is my advice. You, put, you just immediately, some, you watch the face of one partner or the other just grow white and look very serious and say, do we really have to talk about this? Because ultimately, I'm willing to trust you with my holiday schedule. I'm willing to trust you to raise my kids. I'm willing to trust you to create a family. I'm willing to trust you to, like to really determine the direction of my life. But once you've asked me to give you the checkbook, now I'm afraid. Because we're getting a little too close to home. And it turns out that 2,000 years ago, it was almost the same. Like Jesus says you can't serve two masters and then when he gives everyone the example of it, he didn't say you can't serve Jesus and Baal or you can't serve you know, God and hobbies. He went straight to the heart of the matter. You can't serve God and money. Because he knew 
created, whatever other facades people had created, at the end of the day, our resources hit pretty close to home. Our time, our money, our homes and hospitality. Because secretly, the question of Christianity is, am I building my life or his? Am I trying to hold on to my life or am I losing it for him? Have I really surrendered control of my life for him? And it just turns out that the area of generosity becomes a place where this is tested most for lots of us. Now, let's be clear. This is not your pastor standing in front of you as an untrustworthy clergyman saying, I want you to give more money to the church. It's not what I'm doing here. I want you to do exactly with your money what I want you to do with everything else in your life. I want you to give it to Jesus and use it as he says. Like my, as, as the guy who cares about the stewardship of the church family, I want you to tithe. I think that's a discipline you should practice. I want you to give the offerings God tells you to give. But man, I have so much more in my heart for you than just that. Like I want everything that you own to be available to Jesus. I want you to, to see him use you to bless somebody else. I want you to have some stories before you die of times when God told you to do something that was a test of your faith and discipleship, but you said yes to him in some material resource, and you watched him take some paper goods on earth, just money. I want you to watch him take your time that turned into your capital and use it eternally to bless people. I want you to watch him do something that's bigger than dollars with what you've amassed. I want you to see God use your life, your energy, your resources for faith. And I just want to say that for some of you, that will be your biggest test. Luke sets this up from the beginning. When John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan River, he looks up at the crowds and he says, I want you to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And all three of the examples that he gave for what repentance would look like, all three of them had to do with generosity with being content with your resources, with not taking more, and with sharing what you have. All three of them. Luke chapter 3, look it up. Only Luke, only Luke tells you about the good Samaritan who stops and cares for a man that was hurt, but then when he gets to the end, he says, here's two days worth of my pay to take care of him, and if the bill is bigger than this, I will pay it when when I get back. Only Luke tells us about that guy. Only Luke tells us about the rich man who built big barns to store his surplus, and on that very night he died, his soul was taken from him. And the implication is, doesn't he wish that he had fed his village with that? Doesn't he wish he had blessed the poor with that so that his last act would have honored God as he walks into the kingdom? He would have been hearing a resounding, well done, good and faithful servant instead of in storing up an inheritance for who knows who to use or squander. Only Luke tells you about the shrewd manager and then says, use worldly wealth to build eternal dwellings, not your mansion in heaven, silly. It's not about your mansion. You use earthly resources so somebody else can have a house in heaven. Use it to witness, to influence for people for Jesus, to help people hear the gospel, to spread missions around the world. Only Luke tells us that. If you keep tracking, only Luke tells you about Zacchaeus, that wee little man who was a tax collector, who had spent his whole life taking as much money as he could get and was very good at it, very successful. And in Luke chapter 19, only Luke tells you about the day that Jesus says, salvation's come to your house. And the one sign of this man's salvation was that when he came out of that tree, he said, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And if I cheated anybody here, please come see me. I'm going to pay you back more. And then he goes and he lives the rest of his life with Jesus. And the one sign of Zacchaeus' salvation was generosity. Was that a heart that used to be covetous, selfish, and greedy 
in a moment, was changed into the image of Jesus, the one who came to sacrifice and serve and give his life a ransom for many. In one moment, his life, his heart was changed from a guy that was building his empire to a person who surrendered control of his life to Jesus and was willing to give for Jesus' sake. And this woman, I noticed, her story's the same. I want you to look with me back in the text. I want you to see what Jesus has to say about her. First thing I want you to recognize is that this woman, her backstory was not bright. Her backstory was actually pretty bad. Like when she walks into this Pharisee's house, he's thinking to himself, everybody knows she's a sinner. In fact, when she started washing Jesus' feet, Simon the Pharisee was not thinking, I'm so impressed that she is so generous. Simon the Pharisee was thinking, my goodness, she has a terrible reputation and Jesus is letting her touch him. I am so embarrassed. Little did Simon know that at the end of this passage, she's the one that would walk out saved and redeemed and Simon, I'm still unsure about. Jesus was not concerned about her backstory. And let me, let me share this. Jesus was not concerned about her wealth. If this expensive jar of perfume was all that she had to live on, it did not matter. Generos- generosity is not about dollar signs. People do research all the time and tell you that like having more money does not make you more generous. Having more money makes you more of what you already are. If you're already generous with very little, when you get a lot of money, guess what? You're going to be very generous. If you're already kind of stingy and self-absorbed when you only have a little, guess what's going to happen when you have more? You're going to still be stingy just on a bigger scale. This woman didn't have a lot, but here's the second thing I want you to know. You don't have to have a lot to give a lot. It's not about amounts and zeros and dollar signs and numbers. Generosity sometimes is about you stopping and making time for somebody else. Or giving small, simple gifts when God calls on you to give them. When you're out in the community and you're trying to reach somebody, I mean, sometimes it's as simple as splitting a sandwich. You don't have to have a lot to give a lot. But, but the other side of that, when you flip that around, this is, this is what I want you to hear. Don't wait until you have a lot to give a lot. Like I want every person in this church to walk out those doors asking Jesus to make us generous like him. Not, not asking Jesus to make us rich so that once we're rich we'll give. With what I have today, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And he keeps saying, you have to leave everything and follow me. You have to give up everything and follow me. And I see people like Zacchaeus that gave half of what he had and still had. I see people, I see people like Barnabas in the book of Acts making donations to, to bless other people. I understand that some of those resources we keep and steward. But have you given them all over to Jesus yet or are you still holding some of them back? You're building your kingdom or his? You know, the other thing that I notice about both stories is the third thing I want to pass on is both these people teach a principle. When Zacchaeus' story appears in Luke 19, Jesus immediately follows that with a parable of ten minas, of men that were given sums of money. And in Luke, he specifically says money, money, given money. And then the master that asked him to steward the money leaves. Jesus is going to go to heaven. And when he comes back, he says, how'd you use the money? How'd you use that? How'd you use the resources? The implication is that Zacchaeus shows you what it looks like. 
blows me away that Zacchaeus follows this statement from the Bible that scares me. Jesus said, you know, it's harder for a rich person to go to the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Man, that's strong. That's scary. And in the next story in the Bible, you see Zacchaeus being saved. It can happen. But if money is a stronghold for you, if generosity is the last one of these nine ways to fall into place for you, I want to ask you to call the Holy Spirit and ask Jesus to help you with that. In the same way, this woman's story is followed by a parable. After this woman, after this woman shows her salvation, Jesus tells the parable of a man that sowed seeds in four different kinds of soil. What you might miss is that third soil, the one that looks like a lot of church folks, it starts to grow, but then weeds and thorns choke it out. And Luke specifically tells you, as do some of his other gospel writing friends, that it's the love of wealth and prosperity, the distractions of the world, that choke out that seed of the gospel. And unfortunately for a lot of believers, that's sort of where we draw our boundary with Jesus too. You can have my time, you can have my singing on Sunday morning, you can have a few good deeds this year, but don't ask, don't ask to own what I own. The last thing I want to make sure you see, though, is that, like, honestly, generosity is a byproduct of salvation. This woman didn't know the sinner's prayer. Like, no Baptist pastor had told her to say, you know, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I recognize I need salvation. I call on Jesus today. I give him control of my life. I ask him to forgive my sins and adopt me. She, she didn't know the words of a sinner's prayer. She wasn't at Bible school. Miss Gwen hadn't told her to say the ABCs. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that God sent his only son to save me. And I confess that Christ is my Savior and make him my Lord. She didn't know those words. What she knew was this. She knew that the rabbi in that house, Jesus, was her Messiah. And she knew that he had forgiven her of sins in her past. We didn't see that story. We don't know what happened. But Jesus said, if you've been forgiven much, you love much. And here comes this woman rushing in pouring perfume over Jesus, wiping his feet with her hair, crying real tears on her. This is a soul that has been touched by Jesus in the deepest possible way. She's not some religious person that feels like she grew up pretty good and God just needed to help her out a little bit. No, no, no. She was very clear that just like all of us, she was spiritually bankrupt, empty. She had nothing to offer. She was dead. But Jesus Christ gave her life on the inside and changed her forever. And from that point forward, her life savings, this little jar of perfume, what was that to her? She's totally radically transformed. But look, the sign of her salvation was her generosity. At the end of this story, in verse 41 and 42, Jesus tells a parable about two men that owed a debt, and the one that was forgiven the bigger debt would love the master more. Yes, that was this woman. She'd been forgiven and she knew it. She could see it clearly. Oh, I'm so sad about the blindness that Simon felt and that some church people feel, where we feel like we're pretty good. If only Simon could have the blinders off his eyes, he would recognize what a man he was, that Christ Jesus had walked into his house. He hadn't given him a handshake, a hug, or a holy kiss. He hadn't even offered to wash his feet. He thought he was his equal. He thought he didn't need Jesus. He thought he was as good as Jesus. And he sat opposite Jesus at the table, unmoved on the inside, convinced that his religious good deeds would be plenty, that everybody would see what a good man he was. If only Simon could see, if Simon could have the blinders taken off, Simon might realize that he's the man 
that owed 500 denarii as well and could never repay. Simon might be moved with the same kind of change, the same kind of love, the same kind of sacrifice, and the same kind of generosity if only he could see that he is the same as her. But she's on her feet, washing his feet. And I want you to see what Jesus says. Verse 44, then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears, wiping with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. She's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then look at verse 48. He looks at the woman. This sounds so much like Zacchaeus to me. He looks at the woman. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And y'all, you can't buy that. You can't pay for a clean conscience, for a new purpose, for adoption into God's family, for healed self-identity. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, look at this, look, look, look. Your faith has saved you. She didn't buy her salvation. It wasn't the perfume that got her saved. The perfume was just a sign that she'd been saved. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There are a lot of us that are not going to go home in peace today. We're going to go home worried as we can possibly be about what we can do, how much we have, or what it takes to get more. What I really want us to see is that faith, salvation, and generosity are actually connected. I don't want us to be like the Pharisees who were loving money in Luke's gospel, who were greedy in Luke's gospel. I want us to be like Zacchaeus. I want us to be like this woman. I want us to be, I want us to be moved by Jesus. And here's the last thing I want you to see. The roadblock for generosity is selfish pride. As she walks in here, Simon is so blind to his hard heart, but she is not. She's at rock bottom. There's nothing keeping her from seeing who she really is before Christ Jesus. Jesus told Simon, I came in and, and you didn't give me a holy kiss, you didn't wash my feet, you, nothing. You didn't do anything for me. You weren't moved at all. You saw yourself as my social equal. You didn't budge. She ran in with no selfish pride to hold her back. She washed my feet. She gave everything she had for me. And she becomes like an example of redemption in Luke's gospel. Literally gave all she had. Now all she had to give was an alabaster jar of perfume. Zacchaeus had so much more. But she gave it all. So I, what I'm asking today as we prepare to wrap up is, like, which seat are you sitting in, right? Are you and I in Simon's place? We're religious. We're self-righteous. We're not moved by Jesus. It turns out to me, I want the kind of faith that she had. Are you like her? You know, James said, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. I can see that she had a faith that saved her. Because the next thing you know, she's giving everything she has to Jesus. I wonder, are you and I the same way? 
Is generosity going to be the last domino to fall for you in the nine ways that we evaluate our discipleship? Is this the last place that God's going to transform your heart? I don't know. But here's what I hope. I hope that miracles still happen at church. I hope that in a culture that is, that is very afraid, very capitalistic and very materialistic, capitalism is not a bad thing. But in a world where it's really for us, it's easy for it to be all about the almighty dollar. I believe that Jesus can still reach through that and change me. I believe that the Holy Spirit can still take a heart that has never been able to spare a dime and let us finish the last years of our lives generous for Jesus' sake. Willing to bless the widows, care for the single moms, help the kid across the road. Being willing to be nudged by God at every turn. Recognizing that whatever he's given us to steward, it is his. So I invite you to respond this morning in a couple of ways. Number one, if you're not saved, would you give control of your life to Jesus? I I could care less about how generous you are with your resources. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm asking you, would you recognize that you belong to him too? And for some of you, that means you'll sit here today, and for the first time in your life, you'll, you'll ask God to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to adopt you into his family. And you are going to give control of your life to Jesus. You'll become a worshiper of God through Christ today, and we'll baptize you to celebrate it. And if you want to make that decision, make it. I'll be right here. I'd love to hear about it. The altars of the church are going to be open today. If you want to come and pray that God would direct you towards generosity, would move in your heart, that he would show you what to do, the altars are open. But I just pray that everybody would go home changed. Father, we ask for your grace that you would make us like this woman. That our faith, that our salvation, that an awareness of what you've forgiven us from, God, that our encounters with you will have changed us to the point, Lord, that we're not gripping tightly the resources you give us, but we're using them as you see fit at every prompting, every prod. So, Lord, as you move in our congregation today, I give you thanks. And I ask you to move in me first. And, God, that you'd move across all of us, that you would change our hearts. Lord, from covetousness to generosity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.